Hello and welcome to our latest podcast episode, brought to you by The Evidence Base, giving you the latest insights and opinions surrounding real-world evidence, health economics, and more. I'm Darcy Hodge, editor of The Evidence Base, and I'll be your host for today. This podcast will focus on data completeness, both how we can achieve this and how this benefits real-world evidence. I'm joined by Dan Drodes today, who will share his expertise as Chief Medical Officer of Picnic Health on the issues surrounding data completeness and what can be done to resolve them as well as artificial intelligence and machine learning techniques, and even a peek into the future of RWE data generation. Dan, it's great that we could have you on the podcast today. Thanks, Darcy. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your listeners. To begin, could you introduce yourself and Picnic Health to our listeners? Absolutely. Um, My name is Dan Drozd. I'm an infectious disease physician, informaticist, and epidemiologist by training. Um, and I've spent really most of the last 15 years tackling this challenging problem of how we can integrate disparate data sources, primarily electronic health records, to create high quality fit for use data that can be used to answer important clinical research questions. I'll tell you a little bit about Picnic Health at the top. So we're a patient-centric real-world data company. We believe fundamentally that patients ought to have the right to access and control their own healthcare data. And through our platform, We empower them to both gain access to this data and guide their own clinical care, as well as share their de-identified data with our research partners, including major academic institutions and biopharmaceutical companies. Great. So can you define for our listeners, what is data completeness and why is it so important to real-world evidence? This is a really important question. And I, when I think about this, I really, at at a basic level, break this down into two parts. The first is thinking about the breadth of data that we're able to capture. This is really over what period of time do we have data for a patient? And from how many different care sites, physicians, et cetera, can we collect that data from? And then the second is really looking at the depth of that data. What kind of data are you able to structure? And in the end, how confident can a researcher be that a particular variable reflects whatever happened to that patient in the real world? I think that a lot of real-world data sources um, do an okay job in at least one of these domains. Claims data, for example, provides good uh, information about um, billable information for patients' interactions with the healthcare system in a confined window of time. But you can't tell, for example, the results of a patient's lab values or a physician's assessment of disease progression, treatment response, et cetera. Um, And other sources like registries might give you access to some important test results and assessments, but miss key data that happened outside the range of of where they're capturing data from. I think one of the unique things about Picnic Health is that we aim to collect all of a patient's medical records from anywhere that the patient happens to be seen in the US, um, and that we really take that data in any form that, uh, that facilities are able to provide it to us. And then that that importantly includes data from both structured or codified versions of patients' medical records, as well as unstructured or largely narrative text sections of patients' records as well. So following on from that, what is unstructured data and why is it important compared to structured data? Yeah, so I'll start with structured data because I think that one's a little bit easier for people to wrap their heads around. So really this is data that is already codified You can think of it as data that exists within some sort of table within the electronic health record system. So an example might be a list of ICD-10 codes for problems that a patient has or a particular set of lab test results. 
In contrast, unstructured data is really everything else in the patient's record. So it tends to be data that comes from narrative text sections of patients' notes and reports, but also includes things like raw imaging files and DICOM images. From a practical perspective, what does this mean? It really means, for example, if you think about the signs and symptoms that a patient might come see a provider for, those are all things that are only going to be captured in narrative text or unstructured sections of patients' records. If you think about results from an echocardiogram, an ejection fraction, for example, again, data that only comes from those unstructured sections of records, or something like tumor response in a patient from a radiology report is the patient's uh, tumor getting larger or smaller on whatever therapy the patient happens to be on. I think really it's our ability to sort of dive into this unstructured data that really um, is for us in many ways a differentiating factor and I think allows clinical researchers to really be able to start to answer many of the sorts of questions that have traditionally relied only on registries or randomized controlled trials. Perfect. Following on from that, how does Picnic Health define quality and how is your viewpoint informed by regulatory bodies? Great question. So when we start thinking about quality, we really look to external benchmarks and frameworks that have been been established. And so there are a number of these, but the one that we build most heavily or lean most heavily off of is one outlined by the Duke Margolis Center, who's worked hand in hand with the FDA in understanding and defining data quality standards for real world data. The FDA often will use a term fit for use um, and I think it's a really important term because it acknowledges that one data set may be appropriate for answering a particular research question, but may not be appropriate for answering some other research questions. And so it really is built off of this framework, working directly with our partners and understanding what their particular research questions of interest are that we determine whether our data ends up being fit for use for answering a particular question. I think as we take a step back, I think there are a couple of broad categories that we think of. One is data relevancy, and the second is, as you mentioned, data quality. I think they go hand in hand in many cases in defining this concept of fit for use. The former is much more about ensuring that the population of interest is representative so that the people in our cohorts look like the people in the real world that partners are interested in answering questions for. And the latter has to do with data accuracy, completeness overall, and there's a number of sort of facets of completeness as we alluded to before. Data provenance, so how can I tell where a particular piece of data came from? And then really the provision of clear documentation and processing rules. So anytime a piece of source data goes through some kind of transformation in our pipeline, um, the ability to document that. And then we generalize certain components of that framework and incorporate those more broadly. So even outside the context of a particular research question, our entire data processing pipeline is instrumented and provides full provenance. So at each phase of abstraction, we have built-in data quality checks, including things like intra and inter-reader agreements, outlier detection, and then a series of higher level checks, particularly for derived variables that rely on going back to the actual records and assessing that the variables that are derived out of our system reflect what, is, uh, what was captured within the treating physician's notes. Makes sense. I suppose going a little bit wider than that, 
Can you share some recent industry successes and challenges concerning artificial intelligence and machine learning techniques? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I'll answer this question a little bit personally. So I think one of the, the things that impressed me most about Picnic Health when I was thinking about joining about a year and a half ago was that our approach overall to artificial intelligence and machine learning is both technically sophisticated, but also extremely realistic. And I think it's fair to acknowledge that within the realm of clinical research, that the gains of machine learning and artificial intelligence have been more modest than they have been in some other areas of the healthcare system, including things like clinical decision support and other back office operations. I think one thing that we realize and acknowledge is that it's really essential for real world data sources to provide full transparency into their processes and models. And that the idea of having a black box that some data gets fed into and then spits out a result isn't something that's going to be satisfactory for regulators without very clear series of validation studies across multiple populations. This is the reason why the way that we leverage machine learning is to do it in the context of what we call human in the loop review. So this basically means that we leverage this technology to make predictions about important clinical concepts and then have those concepts that are predicted reviewed by trained chart abstractors, ultimately by people, because that provides us both with that additional transparency as well as that additional safety check on the data to ensure that the data coming out of our pipeline is as high quality as possible. So I think overall, this is still a nascent area, one where the ground rules and standards haven't clearly been fully elucidated and described, and where we're really looking to both push the boundaries, but also take a very pragmatic approach that acknowledges kind of the overall regulatory landscape in which we sit. Interesting. Are wider changes within the healthcare industry necessary to improve data completeness strategies? I think they are, and I think that we are very slowly seeing some of those changes take hold. We're certainly big advocates for making patients' data more accessible and available to them, as I mentioned earlier, and really giving them a much easier path to being able to control and access their own data. I think that's really the first step to improving completeness of patient data and honestly a big reason that I came to work at Picnic Health. That said, we also realize that healthcare providers and institutions have important responsibilities for safeguarding patient data and privacy. And so this is a challenging area and one that, that I think we are continuing to move more and more in the direction where patients will serve as sort of a hub of being able to facilitate access to their data. As a physician, I know how frustrating it can be both to providers and to patients not to have access to records from outside institution. Leads to a huge amount of waste in our system, leads to at times both too much care and poor care. Health information exchanges, I think, are an exciting set of facilities and technologies that have really begin to advance data sharing within our ecosystem, but they're not perfect. And I'll share just a brief personal anecdote along these lines. So my stepdad is a liver transplant patient. He had a liver transplant about 12 years ago. During that period of time, he's moved states. He's been hospitalized a couple of times. And in many cases, I've had to serve as his health information exchange. And that to me is simply unconscionable. We really do need to be able to put data in the hands of patients. It's one of the things that motivates me every day. And certainly one of the things that I love about what I what I do. 
I know that we can do better on that front by empowering patients to control their own data. It'll lead to better patient care. It'll lead to better clinical research. And it's something that, that motivates me as I get up and go to work every day. Yeah, I mean, your personal anecdote touched on it again a little bit. Can you explain some practical benefits for data completeness for patients and their outcomes? Yeah, I think put simply, patients can't receive the best possible care if their providers don't have access to relevant pieces of their history. I'm an infectious disease physician by training, as I mentioned. A big part clinically of what infectious disease physicians do is understanding what antibiotics to give patients who are critically ill, for example, in septic shock. The mortality rate for septic shock is about 40%. And usually providers uh, who are seeing patients in septic shock provide uh, what we call broad spectrum antibiotics. So these are antibiotics that tend to kill most bacteria, but the key here really is most. No antibiotic kills all bacteria. We, in fact, wouldn't want an antibiotic that killed all bacteria. And so if, as a physician, I had a patient who I knew had a history, for example, of having multidrug-resistant bacteria or prior infections, it would be essential for me to have access to their records in order to make the correct decision about what antibiotic to give them. And very bluntly, they're, they're a patient's chances of living are significantly higher if that correct choice is made. And side effects of giving incorrect antibiotics outside of direct patient outcomes can also be dramatically improved. And I think from the patient perspective, we hear a lot of frustration from patients, understandably as providers, about having to tell their stories over and over again. I can't tell you how many times I've heard from patients that, you know, Doc, it's all in the records, or I've heard, I've met, I just told this to the person who was in the room 20 minutes ago. Many times, that is the sort of thing that we can, we can help remove that burden from patients by simply having access to patients' records as, as treating providers. So I think there are a number of ways in which that data completeness is super important, not only to researchers in terms of understanding outcomes, but also patients, both in terms of the burden that they carry as well as ensuring that their providers can provide the best possible care to them. Coming off that, it really does sound like data completeness will help patients. So then to close, just as a general question, how do you see real-world evidence generation developing over the next five to ten years? Is there anything hindering this? I think it's a super dynamic field, and I think there's been a lot of buzz, obviously, particularly over the last several years, about the potential for real-world data. And I think it's very important that we separate some of that buzz from the reality. And the first thing that I always tell people is it's very clear to me that real-world data is not a replacement for standardized randomized control trials, for example or at least is rarely a replacement for those. I think synthetic control arm trials are one possible exception to that. So there have, however, been significant statistical advantages in terms of study design, methods, et cetera, that can support the generation of causal inference or the ability to differentiate or say with more confidence that a particular treatment has led to a particular outcome over the last number of years. And so I think there is a huge space that real world data has the potential to fill that answers questions that otherwise would not be answered, that are questions that no one is gonna run a randomized control trial to answer for one reason or another. 
From the industry side, I expect to continue to see development and refinement of how to incorporate holistic real-world evidence strategies into the entire product development lifecycle. We've seen a lot of flux and shifting in organizational structures over the past couple of years as companies work on how to most effectively incorporate RWD into their development life cycles. I think RWD provides an excellent opportunity to understand how treatments impact diverse subpopulations of patients, often patients excluded from clinical trials for one reason or another, and to help build value stories for payers and regulators as well. And I think that we've seen a lot of interest in expanding use of linking traditional data sources, things like electronic health records, with more novel data sources. This is an area we're particularly active in, in in terms of including patients more directly through patient reported outcomes and involving patients throughout the entire life cycle of the research process. Great. Thank you, Dan, for all your insightful answers. It was a real pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your listeners as well, Darcy. Okay. So with that, to our audience, thank you for listening to this podcast and a special thanks to our guest, Dan, for his involvement today. If you're interested in finding out more about data completeness, I recommend our In Focus on the Topic, sponsored by Picnic Health over at www.evidencebaseonline.com. You can listen to more podcasts in our dedicated website section. Thank you for listening and goodbye.